Hey everybody, this is Ernie Johnson, and welcome to EJ's Game Plan. It's your guide to working in sports media. Today we'll be talking to Seth Davis, who is the managing editor of The Athletic and CBS Sports Basketball Reporter. There we go, everybody. So I think I'm live. Man, 140 people. How's everyone doing? How's my hair looking? It's getting long because nobody can do haircuts anymore. So I guess the question is, how do I read questions? I was just uh, on the speakerphone with my man, Ernie Johnson. And if you're wondering, yes, Ernie is uh, as great a guy as he seems. And uh, one of the many sadnesses that I have right now is so today's Wednesday. Tomorrow and Friday would have been the two days all year that I uh, would have gotten to work with the great Ernie Johnson in uh, Atlanta. And uh, so that makes me sad, but uh, I'm honored he wanted me to, to be a part of this. So um, I guess my question is, how do I take questions? I don't know. <laughs> Ernie, you want to call me back? I'm struggling here, but I'll, I'll uh, get it. So I don't know if I get questions on Twitter or through this, but uh, I'm happy to answer. You guys will have to teach me, I guess, up to 340 people. I did figure it out. Thank you. So did the questions just pop up here? Okay. Thanks, Luke. We'll type on here and you can answer them. Okay, so we start uh, with the general stuff. What's your biggest piece of advice to people trying to start in sports journalism? So my biggest piece of advice to anybody trying to do anything boils down to one word, okay? Read. Read, read, read. Put down the Xbox, put down the PlayStation, and read. I used to be um, read almost exclusively nonfiction, but I actually read uh, more fiction now than I ever have. Um, if you're a writer, then reading a good novel um, is the best way to learn how to be a, a good writer. Um, and so, you know, reading a lot and writing a lot are really the only ways to, to become a good writer. So, uh, you know, read stuff you're interested in, read stuff you're curious about. Uh, I saw a quote recently that said, curiosity is a superpower. Be curious. Try to learn. Always try to learn. Learn. Learning um, keeps you happier. It health, keeps you healthier. Um, it extends your lifespan. There's all kinds of science to uh, establish that. So reading is exceptionally important. And you know what? Um, the, the one thing that is constant through the years is that knowledge is power. Knowledge is, knowledge is monetizable. If you're applying for a job, um, it helps if you know something. Like, what do you know? If you know something they don't and what you know can help them uh, make money or be successful in business or accomplish whatever goals they're trying to accomplish, then your knowledge is going to separate you from uh, everybody else. So reading is uh, absolutely critical. Um, you know, the other thing that I just want to emphasize is, you know, to me, journalism means reporting. Um, you know, many years ago, uh, you know, I get asked to give advice to young people, and I'm happy to do it as much as I can all the time, because I know that one of them is going to, you know, turn out to be a huge uh, uh, network TV executive or media mogul, and I want them to remember that I was nice to them, but I enjoy doing it. And so I asked this uh, high school kid who I got connected with, we talked and told me the stuff that he did, big basketball fan, and I asked him to send me some stuff that he had written. He sent me a pick-by-pick -pick breakdown of the NBA draft. So he went through the first round and he gave his thoughts on each player. Uh, and it wasn't bad. His insights were pretty good. It wasn't, you know, pretty well written for a, a young guy. But I said to him, you know, man, no offense, but why do I care what you think about the NBA draft? Like, who are you that your opinion is going to matter to me? Instead of telling me what you think, why don't you, and this was, I grew up in the D.C. area. This kid um, lived in uh, Maryland. Why don't you go interview the GM of the Washington Wizards or find an NBA agent or find a player who got drafted and tell me about his experience. So reporting is, is what I highly, highly, highly recommend you emphasize. I write now for the athletic. Yes, I'm on the brand today. And, um, you know, the reason why the athletic is, is highly successful right out of the gate and we're going to continue, continue to be successful is we really emphasize reporting, access, getting to people, um, getting information. Teach me something I don't know. Um, becoming a good writer takes a long, 
long time. So to have to like convince me of how brilliant you are as a writer, you're not. I mean, I'm going to be 50 in a couple of weeks. I've been doing this for a long time. I still think of myself as developing as a writer. So it's very important. And then also um, through your reporting, you're going to build up your network of contacts. Every single person that you meet is on your squad for life has to be that way. And the cool thing about when you're young is, you know, you may find yourself covering, you know, some single A minor league baseball team in the middle of nowhere for a publication nobody's heard of. Well, where am I? What am I doing? And you get to know, you know, the manager of that team, or maybe you get to know the assistant PR guy on that team. And there's only four writers there. And maybe he's your age too. And he or she uh, is young. Well, that person could someday grew up to be the GM of the Yankees. I often tell the story of one of my um, first story assignments. In fact, it's if you can see on the wall there, at the top, a friend of mine framed it. It's a story about Richard Jefferson. He actually um, recently mentioned this on uh, Instagram. My very first table of content story for Sports Illustrated uh, was about uh, recruiting. And it was kind of when summer recruiting was really starting. And I went to uh, the Nike All-America camp to find a prospect who was being discovered. And uh, Carl Hops, who's now an assistant coach at Rutgers at the time, was an assistant coach at, at UConn. I had spoken to him at the start of the camp, and I said, if you, if you find someone who is really good but you've never heard of, let me know, and I'll you know, maybe focus that um, for my story. And that turned out to be Richard Jefferson. But I, I was sitting by the court, um, just kind of introducing myself to coaches and you know, had, hadn't really done this before. I was a new reporter at Sports Illustrated, and I started talking to somebody who was an assistant coach at Michigan State. And he was, uh, you know, young guy, um, very curious, very interested in what I was doing. I started talking to him for my story and uh, thought that could help as well. Um, that guy's name was Tom Crean. And so Tom Crean uh, was one of the first coaches that I really developed a relationship with. And we followed up and we kept talking and I would cover Michigan State. And uh, he helped me in that coverage. And, of course, uh, within a couple of years, he gets hired to be the head coach at Marquette. And then he becomes a head coach in Indiana. And he's uh, someone who still is a, is a, you know, we have a very good relationship and he's a good source for me on things. So uh, to sum up, first and foremost, read. Uh, second of all, emphasize reporting in terms of your work. And also, if you're going to submit clips to people like, you know, hey, read some stuff that I've done, um, select those stories that emphasize reporting as opposed to how brilliant you are as a writer or an opinionator. And then finally, build up your network of contacts. Every person you meet is on your squad um, that you will carry with you for an actual thank you note, like with pen and paper, um, and uh, continue to build that network of contacts. And really treat everybody well with respect don't see levels don't the, the person that you're a jerk to today as i said is going to move up in the world and, and um at the very least you're going to lose the ability for someone to, to help you but you know it's a small community the sports writing community the media community whatever industry you're in everybody talks to everybody and no one wants to work with jerks so don't be a jerk so there you go um any advice who wants to enter the enter sports entertainment but is hesitant? Yeah, my advice is don't be hesitant. What, what are you afraid of? You, you know, fail? You, whatever bad thing that could possibly happen to you has already happened to a million other people. Um, and in today's economy uh, and today's job uh, ecosystem, people change jobs all the time. Don't be afraid to try things. Don't be afraid to fail. There's no such thing as a wasted experience. You, know? um, you may try something and um, not like it. You may go to school and get a degree and decide that's not what you want to do. Fine. You know, finding out what you don't like, finding out what you don't want to do uh, is very much a part of um, your education. And your education never stops. Life is all about education. So don't be hesitant. If, if you have a passion for something, follow your passion and then work your tail off. I often refer to John Wooden's Pyramid of Success. Um, he actually designed that thing like an engineer. And so that if you look at the pyramid, the two cornerstones of the pyramid, that hold the whole thing up are industriousness and enthusiasm. Whatever you do, do it with great enthusiasm, bring joy to your work and then work your tail off. So don't be hesitant. And uh, especially if you're young, young people have no reason to be hesitant. I'm, I'm, I'm old, man. Like I said, I'm almost 50. So I got, uh, you know, I have, I have maybe more to lose, but also more to gain. Don't be hesitant. 
Okay, how should someone go about interviewing a GM agent or player when they don't have connections? Uh, listen, this is the job. Get those connections. You know, work your way in. I, I actually, part of me kind of likes the chase of, well, how am I going to get to that guy? How, you know, or, or woman, I don't want to be uh, gender specific here. Uh, you know, figuring out how you're going to get to the person and play the long game. You know, um, I think a lot of times, and even people who are well-established in journalism, I see them making them this mistake. They take things personally. They take, they take a no personally. Okay, so I want to go interview this person. And I go to whoever the intermediary is, the agent, the communications person, whatever. And they tell me, well, how would I mean no? I need, all I need is 10 minutes. How can you? My advice is play the long game. There's always a next time. Okay. There's always a next time. So don't take it personally. Be a mensch. Hey, no problem. You'll get me on the next one. You know what? They appreciate that because not everybody's like that. So if you're a mensch, then, um, you know, there's that old saying, you get more uh, flies with honey than vinegar. But, you know, also be persistent. Show up. Ask again. You know, can I just get 10 minutes? Can I just get this or that? Um, you know, nowadays with cell phones, you know, for me, texting is, is critical if I, you know, because I'm so busy and the people I'm trying to chase down are so busy. You know, it's like that, you know, that old Groucho Marx joke about, um, you know, I wouldn't want to belong to a club that would have me as a member. Sometimes like, you know, I don't want to talk to someone who has time to talk to some, who has time to talk to me. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, the, by definition, the people that others want to hear from are hard to talk to. That's the job. Be good at it. Be resourceful. Be creative. But don't be obnoxious and don't take things personally. Play the long game. Okay. Let's wait for another question here. Who wants to fire away? My dog's trying to get out here. Everyone see Clarence? Clarence is my guy. See how he turned around? Guardian Angel is my home office. Um, can I scroll down here? Oh, I can scroll down. Ernie, I can scroll down. Are you, hey, come on. Ernie doesn't have a question. All right, I'm going to scroll. <laughs> this is pretty cool. EJ's Journalism School. This is the best job I ever had. I, 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 you know, you get what you pay for, Ernie. I'm sorry if my answer's not good. Okay. Um, let me scroll through Providence final four next year. Um, not quite ready to Sharpie that. What team do you regret most not getting to see this March? Oh, there's so many, there's so many. Now you're going to make me sad. Um, I have a special place in my heart for the city of Dayton. Uh, I've been there several times. Um, you know, people ask sometimes, and maybe they don't pay attention to these things the way that I do about why Dayton hosts the first four every year. Like, how come they don't move that around? The answer is that the NCA has shopped it around and nobody else wants it as much as Dayton. Dayton has committed itself. We want the first four. And I've said, I know I'm a company guy, whatever. You know, I'm, I'm in the Turner Studios uh, in those first four games. Those are amazing games. I love the first four games between the two 16 seats. Those are kids playing in the absolute game of their lives. And the winner gets to go to the NCAA tournament and play Kansas or Gonzaga or Duke or whoever the number one seed may be. So I love the first four, but I love especially that Dayton um, loves the first four and the, the history there, the a longtime legendary coach named Don Donaher. Uh, I had the honor of presenting him with the Dean Smith Award on behalf of the U.S. Basketball Writers Association a couple of years ago, emceed that um, dinner. And so I know how special Dayton is. Uh, Anthony Grant is a guy that I've known for a long time. The fact that he's a Dayton alum uh, now coaching there. And so here we had this incredible story and also the tragedy of what happened last summer and, and what's going on in Dayton with the shooting there and the, the pain that caused that community. So to me, this is the, the great thing uh, about sports is the way that it rallies a community and a country really together. I mean, I think we're feeling that right now, aren't we? I mean, sports is such a wonderful, unifying experience. And so, you know, Dayton, at, you know, at the end of the day, it's still, whether you call it a mid-major, probably doesn't quite fit the definition of a mid-major program. The 810 is probably at the high end of the, uh, certainly at the high end of the mid-major leagues. Um, so for them to get a player like Obi Toppin, here's a guy who is not highly recruited. Um, I guess if memory serves, he had... Um, uh, gone to prep school, either high school or prep school in Florida, and then high school or prep school in New York, but kind of under-recruited. Anthony Grant had just gotten a job after Archie Miller left for Indiana. 
saw this kid play at a workout in his high school, loved him right away, loved his potential. It's all this great, but this is the guy has the potential to be a really good player. So he comes to date and he red shirts for a year because they have some players there. He's just not physically, he's just not ready to compete. So he red shirts a year. Then he plays as a red shirt freshman. And even at the start of that season, uh, Anthony Grant told me that um, he was telling NBA scouts, like, you better watch this kid. Like, he's legit. And so, you know, halfway through that year, they realized they had a great player, tested the waters, came back. Now he's national player of the year. They are on the verge of clinching a one seed, which is amazing, and then going to play in the NCAA tournament for this great city that absolutely loves uh, college basketball. So uh, if it breaks my heart that I didn't get to watch Dayton, uh, I can't imagine the sadness going through that Sydney, uh, city. But I hope that there's also a lot of gratitude for the great season they had and the future they had there uh, with Anthony Grant. Um, you know, the others that come to mind are Rutgers and Penn State because those are the, uh, two, the other two teams that um, – had uh, and hadn't been in the NCAA tournament for a while. San Diego State, you know, how good were they really? I think they were pretty good, but they were going to get a chance to prove it probably as a two seed in the West. So, uh, yeah, it makes me sad, but hopefully it's going to make us all that much happier um, when the tournament um, when the tournament starts again next year. Okay, and I, le- I lose these comments. What I do here? Okay, um, I'm trying to scroll back because the people who are here, you know, first come, first serve. Uh, how do you respond to a question on air that throws you off? That's a really good question from the Joy Miller. Um, I can't say it happens a ton. Uh, first of all, you know, our, our segments are formatted. So, um, we basically know what's coming. Now we don't script it out word for word. There's nothing in the teleprompter, uh, when I'm talking once in a blue moon, like if I'm introducing a feature story, I will read from the teleprompter. The hosts are the ones that normally use a teleprompter, but I don't use a teleprompter when I'm talking, but I basically know what I'm supposed to talk about. So it doesn't happen that often. And then also, frankly, um, I am, uh, you know, totally immersed in college basketball all year long. So it's frankly hard to, um, ask me a question that throws me off. That doesn't mean I know everything. And if I don't know, I have, I have no problem saying that on the air. I always want to be uh, authentic. But the, to, to what you're getting at, um, it might not be a question that throws me off, but sometimes things happen that, you know, something goes wrong or there's a scramble or there's late-breaking news. You can imagine what it's like on a selection show. Sometimes we don't get the bracket until five or ten minutes before that show starts. Um, but you know what? When something goes wrong and we're scrambling, that's when it's the most fun to be on television because that's when your instincts are kicking in and your adrenaline's gone and everyone really kind of binds together. You know, writing is, is great work, but it's very lonely work. Television is much more of a collegial team uh, experience. So um, whatever I respond to, I try to do it complete, um, completely authentic. Uh, who you see on the air should be the person that you see off the air. There's some performance to it, but um, if I'm thrown off, I just roll with it in the most uh, authentic way. My favorite sports book so many of those friday night lights um that had a that had a huge uh, impact on me i was um i'll give it credit here to john feinstein i was taking his journalism class at duke uh, he assigned us that book uh and i read it and i just i remember saying to my girlfriend at the time this is what i want to do like is it it's a sports book but is it really a sports book you know sports is a uh Wednesday, um and so, um, yeah, Friday Night Lights come, uh, comes to mind. I mean, I generally love uh, biographies. The Sandy Koufax biography uh, leaps to mind as something um, that I really, really loved. Uh, I'm trying to think of another one to give you guys. Um, you know, there's a, a novel, a sports novel by W.C. Hines called The Professional uh, about a boxer, uh, which I really, really liked. Um, and then Frank DeFord's uh, memoir, um, I would also uh, recommend. I'm trying to remember the name of that. It's, uh, I think it's called Overtime. I know it's on my uh, bookcase up there somewhere. Um, so I hope that uh, I, I hope that helps. I'm sure I'll think of a lot more. Um, obviously, I could recommend some of the ones that um, I wrote, but that would be very cheesy. But uh, you know, when March went mad, Wooden and uh, Getting to Us are three outstanding sports books. So how do I recommend my favorite memory at Duke? Um, well, it's, well, it's interesting that, you know, I recently watched basically end to end. Maybe I think I picked up at the start of the second half, the replay uh, Kentucky game. And so I was writing for the, that, that was my senior year. And I was writing for the student newspaper. 
Um, and I was a weekly columnist. I was a total wise ass in print, as hard as that might uh, be for you guys to believe. Um, so I, uh, I was not at the game. I wasn't covering the game. I wasn't the beat writer for the basketball team. I was a columnist. I covered home games. I'm sure I covered some road games. I distinctly remember being at the Wake Forest game, which they actually lost. I distinctly actually the two, the two games they lost that year were at Wake Forest. And that was a game where they tried that same final play. Um, Grant Hill throwing down the court to Christian Leitner and, and Hill threw the ball out of bounds, made a bad pass. So um, I was at that game. I was at the North Carolina game um, that they also lost in the last second. Bobby Hurley broke his foot in that game, finished the game playing with a broken foot, and then was out for a couple of weeks and there for the home stretch. But, um, you know, the memory of watching um, that game, and I was sitting up in this kind of smallest storm room in my little fraternity section at Duke, um, and uh, watching this game, and we still laugh about it to this day. In fact, this guy ends up being the best man at my wedding, Andy Gutterman. Um, Sean Woods makes the bucket to put Kentucky up one, and the game is over. Clearly, the game is over, and Duke has lost. And I'm even then, I was Mr. Positive, and I turned to him, and I just smiled. I said, we had a great run, didn't we? I mean, they had been the three Final Fours. They won the national championship, um, and uh, it now was over. And so, you know, we laughed later on, uh, you know, Christian Leitner hits the shot and everybody, you know, went nuts. And then we ended up on the quad and, and you know, there were burning benches. Back then it wasn't organized. It's was actually pretty dangerous. Um, and so, you know, it kind of robbed me of the ability to say all these laters. I was at the game. I was in the spectrum when Leitner hit the shot. But, you know, it was a much more fun experience um, being on campus. At the other huge game, the second biggest game for my undergraduate days at Duke uh, was my junior year. Um, the UNLV game in the, in the final four. And that one, again, I was not covering it uh, as a member of the Chronicle, um, but a ton of my fraternity brothers um, drove to Indianapolis um, to go. We, we all were able to get tickets, the student lobby, whatever it was. And one of our brothers uh, is, was from Indianapolis. So we all stayed at his parents' house and we still talk about that weekend. There must've been 30 of us. His mom, his mom, like, immediate sainthood for putting up with us and we, we still talk about we we're sitting down in the basement kind of watching tv during the day hanging out and she brought a huge bowl of shrimp and put it down on the table and all these guys stuck their hands and ate this huge bowl of, of shrimp but um yeah i mean everyone assumed unlv was going to win um and Duke won that game. And, of course, the irony is uh, the point guard for UNLV is, was uh, Greg Anthony, of course. And I worked with him for many, many years at CBS. So if you live long enough, those things happen. But it's interesting that the two memories of those two games that I uh, selected um, were fan experiences and student experiences and not media experiences. So if there's any question that the fans have more fun than the media, that should uh, erase those questions. Um, let me scroll down through these questions here. How am I doing, Ernie? Um, great question from Amber. Let me take a little sip of aqua here. Is everybody hydrating, by the way? One thing with this quarantine. I um, Okay, so Amber's something. I'm sorry, my I got I have gray eyes. Amber. Salas, whatever the name is, how do you focus on asking unique questions in interviews without sounding redundant? So this is about interviewing and interviews and um, how to go about interviewing and what are the sort of do's and don'ts with interviewing. So, you know, the first thing about interviewing is, ta-da, getting the interview. And this goes to the earlier question about, you know, getting access to people. Um, you know, getting the right circumstances for the interview. Maybe the greatest interviewer alive or who ever lived is Howard Stern. Baba Bowie, hit him with a hind. Um, the reason why Howard is such a great interviewer is because of the certain many reasons. First of all, he's relentlessly curious. So that goes back to what I said earlier, curiosity is a superpower. Um, but he gets people in his studio, famous people, interesting people, and he sits them down and he closes the door and they have uh, a lengthy conversation with the understanding that nothing is off limits. Now, um, 
you know, the person, you know, can say, I'd rather not answer that, which happens all the time. And he's very respectful of that. You know, these people are not on trial. Let's remember that. And by the way, they're also being generous with their time and their access. And that is something we must always keep in mind. Um, because when we sit down and we write, you know, I quote Lester Bangs in the movie Almost Famous, we want to be honest and unmerciful, which I agree with. Uh, but we can still be empathetic and fair. Uh, very important because, like I said, there's always a next time. And if you screw over somebody and you're dishonest, um, they'll tell the next person. And, well, then I heard from, you know, you want to talk to me, but my buddy told me you, you screwed him. So, no. Um, I often tell my interview subjects or my story subjects, I will only make you one promise. I will never lie to you. So trust is, I guess, what I'm getting at. So you're asking about unique questions, but it doesn't matter what questions you ask uh, if, if you haven't earned the trust. And earned is really uh, the proper word. Trust uh, is something that, that needs to be earned. So, um, uh, so get the interview and, and be honest. Be fair. Establish trust. Here's a critical part of interview. Huge, huge, huge. Do your homework. Do your research. Um, there's, it's so easy. It's so easy. There's Google, there's Nexus, there's the telephone. Um, and, and, and this is important in, in, in a couple ways. First of all, the more you know, the better questions you're going to ask. So you want to ask a unique question. Um, I would define unique as a good question, a smart question. And the more you know, the more you'll be able to ask. And you say, well, without sounding redundant, you know, you don't, you want to ask a question where you're learning something. So if you're going to ask a question that you could have gotten the answer to by doing research, now you've wasted a question, you've wasted time, and you've um, accidentally communicated to the person that you didn't do your homework. So they appreciate that you did your homework. When, I mean, I've seen this in interviews where it's like they're impressed that you know this about them. Oh, this, this person did their homework. So take a day, take half a day, whatever it takes, go online, go on Google, do your homework. Um, and then that's how you think about good questions. And I guess the final piece that I would say is, you know, try to ask something that they can answer. You know, this is very relevant, even more so in television, because, you know, if you're on the air and people can see you asking these questions and see their answer, um, it's, kind of, it's kind of awkward if you ask a question and then they don't want to answer it. It makes everybody uncomfortable, um, which is not to say you, sh you shouldn't make people uncomfortable, which is not to say you shouldn't ask tough questions or, you know, kind of go to areas um, uh, that, in, in fact, I, I almost think about those areas where you want to go there, you want to ask that question, like that's the first place that I want to go. Like what do they not want to talk about? And then try to... Um, ask the question in a way that uh, allows them uh, to talk about these difficult uh, topics. One truism in life, man, and especially in journalism, people like talking about themselves. I mean, look at me. I'm having a blast talking about myself right now. So even if they're difficult experiences, you can draw people out. And here's another important piece, and this applies to all of your relationships, your friends, your kids, and especially your spouse. No judgment you see that chair right there that's my that's my uh, meditation chair and sometimes i'll bring my my sons and they kind of dread this but I'll, I'll sit them down in that chair and i'll say okay we're in the no judgment zone so you nothing you can say here is going to get you in trouble let's talk about what's going on so i try to come at people that way if they've had if, if they've made a mistake if they're an addict if they got caught cheating if they got fired for doing something wrong if they broke the law if they let a ball go between their legs, instead of saying, well, how could you do that? Like, what was wrong with you? Like, like, do it in a way like, what did you learn from that? Or what was that experience like? Or that must have been really difficult to have to go through that. What was it like? What did you learn from that? So try to ask a question that comes at these difficult subjects in a way that's empathetic and non-judgmental, And you will be amazed. You will be amazed at how that spigot will open up and they will pour their heart out to you because they're in a safe space. Um, and, and here's here, here's a final point I will, I will make. And again, this works more for the print interview. You know, a lot of the interviews that I have with people, they say, well, I feel like I'm in therapy. Um, and they are. And they are. And I've actually, uh, one of the great things about this line of work is I feel like I've accumulated a lot of 
wisdom because I'm really asking people deeply uh, important questions to share the most important, informative, and painful experiences of their lives. I mean, I just wrote a very long story about Dick Vitale, and everyone thinks of Dick Vitale as this kind of awesome baby, you know, clown, uh, two-dimensional cartoon. Um, the headline on the story was The Enduring Pain of Dick Vitale. So um, not that it's hard to get Dick Vitale to talk, but um, some people are harder. But you'll be surprised. You'll be amazed at what they're willing to share if they think you've done your homework. Um, and uh, if you're empathetic and non-judgmental and, and honestly interested in their lives. And the final thing that I was going to say more about the print interview is, you know, don't be afraid in fact, I would encourage you to talk to your interview subjects about your process and what you're doing, because otherwise the questions might, might not make sense. I will often say, okay, dumb writer question here. Um, all right, let's go back because you just described this meal that you had with your father where you had this conversation. So, you know, as a writer, for me, it helps to build a scene if I know certain things. So do you remember the tablecloth? Do you remember, you know, what was on the plate? Do you remember what you ate? Was there a waiter? You know, were you sitting next to your, this person or were you at another table? Because if you explain to them what you're doing, they're like, oh, okay. But if, if, you, if someone's telling a story and you, and you say like, well, you know, well, what'd you eat? They're like, why are you asking me what you ate? Like, I'm pouring my heart out to you. So I explained to people my process. Okay. Forgive me, annoying question, silly writer question, but this is why I am looking to know this as I'm writing this scene. So let's go back and, and give me these details. Uh, I love that process. I love that process. So that's a long answer to uh, a question about asking unique questions, but I hope that it helped. Um, is it okay to start off your journalism career by working for a newspaper first? What's a newspaper? This is a strange uh, relic from the past. Not only is it okay, I encourage it. Um, and I'll do you one better. I know a lot of you probably uh, want to be on TV or podcast or radio, um, some type of uh, electronic journalism. I strongly encourage you to always be writing. There are so many outlets today, even if you're just writing something on Medium uh, for free or, or maintaining your own blog, but you probably wouldn't have to, right? I mean, if you're working in wherever you are, um, you can pitch stories to your local media outlet. The act of reporting and writing is an important muscle, and you need reps. You need as many reps as you possibly can. Each time you interview somebody, each time you ask a question and get an answer, even if it's something as simple as developing your own shorthand when you're taking notes um, in a notebook, or you know, are you you know are you using a tape recorder or your iPhone, and then how do you transcribe it? You know. Is it worth transcribing everything or, you know, just, just the little tools of, of the process. So, you know, my first job out of college was writing for the New Haven Register in Connecticut for two and a half years. I covered high school sports and I stood on the sidelines um, with my steno notebook and I had one of those pens where you can change the color at the top, right? There's four colors, red, green, blue, orange, maybe something like that, black. Um, and you would, develop your own shorthand, and I asked other people, you know, what they do, where you chart the play-by-play -play of the football game, because no one's going to hand it to you, and then you have to do the post-game interviews, and then you take your little Radio Shack computer um, and, uh, and, and, and write it up, and those are amazing skills to learn, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, newspapers, they're still around. Um, they're still looking for good young talent. You know, a lot of times they prefer young talent because, frankly, uh, younger people will work for less. Um, you know, use that asset to your advantage. I encourage that um, to develop those skills. So absolutely work at a newspaper first. But even if you're not working at a newspaper, find a writing and reporting outlet. I strongly uh, encourage it. And, again, if you're on TV or if you're in the electronic media, those uh, skills of reporting, writing, disseminating, storytelling uh, are very critical. And I just want to give an update on Clarence, who is now in the meditation chair, hanging out. You doing all right, Clarence? See, he knows his name. He's a golden doodle. Is that an amazing dog? He hangs out with me because I'm the only one who takes an O-U-T. Uh, and yes, those of you who know me uh, know that Clarence, I named him, gave him that name because of the angel and It's a Wonderful Life and also Clarence Clements the great and late saxophonist for Bruce Springsteen. How should someone, okay, I've done that question. Um, I'll answer these questions a little bit more quickly so I can get through them, okay? 
Oh, oh, does the athletic have any summer internships for college students? I don't, I honestly don't know about that. I can try to find out maybe hit me up over Twitter. I'll ask about what our internship, um, situation is benefits of student membership in the U.S. Basketball Writers Association. You are talking to the, I think I might technically be president now. Um, Usually we do a pass the gavel thing at the final four. Mike Waters is president and I'm first vice president. So I'm actually ascending uh, to the presidency. Um, so I would prefer if everybody uh, refers me to Mr. President, but uh, the U S basketball writers association uh, is a great, great resource. And so, uh, you know, being a student member, you get access to the directory, um, you get access to various discounts and you get access to our members. And, um, and you, most importantly, you're supporting an association that is very, very much in need right now, because whether it's things like um, making sure that we have access that we need, uh, 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 fair seating uh, inside of arenas and the other things that uh, journalists need to do our job. Um, this is a time for a variety of reasons that, that the job is getting a lot harder to do. And the U S basketball writers, um, um, is, is, is a vital organization in preserving that. So it's not only the benefits that you get, but the um, benefits you're giving to an association that will serve you throughout your uh, career. Um, let me see. I'm just trying to scroll back here. I'll, I'll try to get, uh, I'll try to get through this a little bit more quickly. Okay. Um, I'm sure I'm not going to get to all of them. Maybe just stand here all day. I don't have much better to do. All right, here's the newspaper question, the GM question. My mentors, my role models, um, you know, whoops, I flipped this around, sorry. Fortunately, I don't have anything incriminating on my desk, I promise you. There I am. Um, mentors and role models, um, you know, I mentioned John Feinstein. He was a journalism professor at Duke, but, you know, when I got to Sports Illustrated, I worked directly with Alex Wolf, um, who I love to read. Uh, while growing up and you know got very closely um, with him Alex Wolf uh, is just one of those guys who's just an eminently eminently decent decent man decent man and um, when I talk about um, being nice to people he was nice to everybody so this idea that you have to be ruthless to get information to do the job is just not true so I want to give a shout out to Alex Wolf um, who I love dearly um, some of the steps you took to land your first job after college um, nothing, nothing like uh, shoe leather. Uh, I remember uh, there was a big volume called Editor and Publisher. Uh, it must still be around. I don't know. We're talking about 1992 is when I graduated. And I went through and I remember having a, um, you know, this is before all these computers and apps and everything and devices. I literally had a, a box of index cards that I had, you know, categorized off where I sent clips to you know, 50 to 100 or however many newspapers. And I kept track of who I had sent those clips to. Um, I followed up with thank you notes and who wrote back. And I, I kept track of everything. So I don't think there's any great secret to this. I've often told people that getting a job in journalism is much like doing the job of journalism, being resourceful, being proactive, reaching out to people, uh, building up a network um, and, and, and going from there. Um, nothing, nothing, um, can replace the asset of being good. Uh, nothing is better than having good clips or good uh, video, whatever you have, good reel to people um, to send and, and, and try to get to the job. And there's a matter of getting, um, getting those things in front of people. And I would imagine that these days it's a heck of a lot easier to, to do those things um, because of YouTube and all these, you know, online portfolios. And by the way, I'm noticing as I'm looking over my shoulder, you know what that is? That's a banner for UMBC's first round win over Virginia, which they were nice enough to send me, even though I sharpied Virginia uh, at the start. Um, Kickstarting my career, um, you know, there's an old expression, it took me 20 years to become an overnight sensation. I don't know that my career was ever kickstarted. I was very fortunate to be able to get a job uh, out of college. And as I said, I covered high school sports. And so part of that was the willingness um, to go to a smaller newspaper, not thinking that I should start at the top. Um, in fact, the New Haven Register wasn't that small. It was a good medium-sized newspaper circulation around 125,000, if memory serves, where high school sports was very important to that newspaper. So it was actually a really good job. Um, but I had to be willing to go to a place where I didn't know anybody. And so the life experience of doing that and paying rent for the first time and managing a budget on a very meager salary 
um, while being young and unencumbered by things like mortgage and kids and trying to save for college and all that. It was a very, very uh, happy time uh, in my life. Um, just scrolling through there. But, um, favorite type of story to write feature um, something opinion-based. Uh, I, I I'm, I'm a storyteller. I love storytelling. And you know, for me, um, spending time uh, collecting information for a long-form story, as I recently did with uh, Sabrina Ionescu, uh, the great uh, player at Oregon. It was the first in-depth feature I'd ever written about uh, a female player. Um, going up there, spending time with her, spending time with the coach, talking to her teammates, talking to her assistant coach, building from there, collecting my material, and then organizing it, building my outline, writing it. It's it's A lot of, of that is not pleasant, but it doesn't need to be painful. I don't think writing should be painful. And, um, you know, I've developed my own process for, for writing and editing and, and, and all of that. Um, but, uh, I love going deep. That's what I do. I love going deep. How do you get around bad SIDs? This is a, this is a delicate dance. This is a delicate dance because on the one hand, um, it is, they're the wall and, you know, Almost all the time, not always, but almost all the time, the SID is reflecting the head coach. So if the SID is uh, kind of standoffish and putting up barricades, it's probably because that's what the head coach wants. Um, so first and foremost, you know, again, be respectful, um, be honest with people at all times. Um, but, you know, sometimes you got to go above and around and over people. And it's like... Uh, you know, I've had in this talk with colleagues, well, well, if I do that, then this person will get mad. Well, this person is not helping me do my job. This person is making it harder for me to do my job. So at a certain point, yeah, you got to go, got to go around them, got to go over them, got to go past them. Um, I, I'm fortunate at this point in, in my life, I've done this long enough where I have um, very direct relationships with these coaches. So most of the time when I talk to a coach, it's because I've texted that person directly and then we've set up a time to talk and then we've talked. Um, it's usually players that I go through the SIDs, but again, I have, you know, SIDs tend to be, um, accommodating to, you know, a national writer as opposed to sometimes in the beat guys all the time. So look, we've got to work with people, whether they're SIDs or PR people, communications folks, agents. So, you know, you want to be careful and strategic about it, but at the end of the day, uh, you got to do your job. And if, if the, the press person is preventing you from doing your job and you have to go around and if they complain to you, just say, look, you know, I gotta be honest. Like, like, look, man, I mean, like I asked you and you wouldn't set this up. Like, what, what do you want me to do? And then be respectful of their position too. And say, you know, they've got a job to do as well. So, um, I find most people are very, very reasonable. It's, it's very unusual for me to find someone who's just, absolutely a problem but again if somebody's that bad um and that counterproductive for me i have no problem going over their head or around i don't say it's behind their backs because i don't just i'll tell them up front well i'm gonna and then if they complain say hey you know you can't well i'll take this away well you're, you're threatening to take away something that's not there you're not helping me get access and so you can't take away access because i don't have the access going through you so Definitely an interesting dance. Like I said, I kind of like the, the strategizing. Um, did I ever struggle with speech diction as a reporter? Um, I can't say that I did, but if you do, um, it's just one of those things in life which you're going to overcome. Uh, let's let's be resilient about that. Um, I love the way, I'm not getting political, but I love the way that Joe Biden has talked about his stutter. You know, Bill Walton had a horrible stutter for many years, and now he won't shut up. So um, good things ahead, good things ahead. Let me see here. Um, great question. How do you draw the line from bugging someone, but also keeping that uh, connection? It's an art form. It's an art form. And the phrase that I use is pleasant persistence. Perfect the art, and it is an art, of pleasant persistence. Um, they will respect your persistence. They will respect the fact that you keep coming back. But you don't want to bug them. You don't want to be a pain in the butt. You don't want them to dread um, They've been there too, you know. Every all of us have been there, um, and there's there's a point where it's where you are bugging them, and you know, bugging them doesn't help you get access to them. So again, that's what I'm talking about reps. That's why um, you know, writing and reporting all the time, and you sort of master this art of people saying no. You're going to get the no. You're going to get to say later, or, or just say them. You know, can I, 
I don't want to be a pain in the butt. Can I, when can I, you want to give me two weeks? You want to give me a month? You want to call me, want me to call you next year? You tell me when is a good time for me to circle back and I will, I will follow your lead. So that's a great, 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 great question. It's an art. It's an art. How do you develop your voice for being on air? Um, I can't say that I have developed it. Um, I think, I think I'm pretty lucky that I've got a basically kind of a deep voice. Um, I am mindful of it. Um, I'll, I'll answer kind of a different question is not just my voice, but my energy. Um, there is some performance to being on television. Um, again, you don't want to be inauthentic. You don't want to be a shill, um, but you got to, you know, it's, it's a performance. And I remember the very first year that I covered uh, the NCAA tournament in the studio for CBS. And back in those days, uh, of course, CBS was the only network that had um, these games. And I'm sure uh, you all are glad that uh, that's not the case anymore because everybody was always mad uh, when we switched out of games. We still laugh about, you know, people would call up and complain about Greg Gumble because everybody blamed Greg because you'd be watching a game that you want to watch and here comes Greg Gumble saying, hey, you know, we'll keep an eye on that game for you, but right now we're going to take you out to this for the start of this tip. And someone was always mad. So people would call to say, I hate Greg Gumble. Why are you doing that? And they would forward, whoever got that would forward it to Greg so he could hear it and then we would get a good laugh about it. But anyway, um, I remember my first year, it was at the end of the day and our, our head research guy in the studio was a guy named John Hadley. And he said to me, I can tell you're tired. He was not being critical. He was not being me. He was just calm. He said, boy, I can tell you're tired. And I remember thinking he should not be able to tell that I'm tired. I can feel tired, but the viewer cannot know that I'm tired. And so I developed the muscle where right before we're going on the air to pick up my energy. Adam Zucker, who I work with as a host of CBS, he's great. Whenever that we come in studio, he can be whatever. And it's like, boom, that light goes on. He almost yells when we started. They go, hey, welcome back, Adam Zucker. I got Seth. I got John Rossi. He's great at that. So um, I would say it's more about energy more so than my voice. But if you, know, if you have a high register voice, maybe working with a voice coach wouldn't be a bad idea at all. Whatever, whatever you feel like your weakness is, work at it to get better. Um, how do you think the shutdown of the tournament has hurt the morale for the NCAA? Uh, I think the shutdown of everything has hurt everybody. But I think there, there are a lot of good things that are coming out of this as well. I am a very much, uh, I try to stay in a positive mindset. That's a muscle that I've worked on for many years. Um, I'm a meditator. I'm a Zen reader. Um, I'm not perfect by any means. My family will tell you that. Um, I think that uh, next year when this tournament comes around, people are, are going to be so happy. And I cannot tell you what an honor it is for me um, I don't like using the word brand. I think it's kind of cheesy, but let's be honest, we all have a brand. Um, and uh, certainly those of us in, in, in the public eye in this type of job have a brand. Uh, the fact that my personal brand is tethered not just to college basketball, but to the NCAA tournament. I mean, I can't tell you how humbled I am and how honored I am uh, by that. So, uh, yeah, it's been it's been sad. I feel awful for these kids, most of all, especially the seniors who won't get another. I'll get another shot, God willing, uh, next year, but a lot of these players won't. So uh, it, it's, it's hurt. It's, it's hurt badly, but we're going to get through this, and, and, and we're going to appreciate everything in life a lot more. Um, let me see here. Do you agree with Wisconsin simulated national championship? Hey, man, whatever gets you through the whatever, next couple of weeks. Uh, I didn't see that. Did Wisconsin win the national championship? I mean, stranger things have happened. What a season they had. You want to talk about a team I was looking forward to. Um, you go back to when Kobe King left and Brad Davison got suspended. I think they lost, like, I want to say three out of four or something like that in that span. Um, I wondered if they were going to get to the tournament and they end up winning a share of the Big Ten title. I have so much respect for Greg Gard and that program and how they did that. Did you find your way? This is a great question. Did you find your way to the athletic or did the athletic find you? Yeah, they found me off Skid Row. Uh, I got laid off by Sports Illustrated, um, and uh, obviously I was not surprised about that because Sports Illustrated had done a lot of layoffs, and um, nobody really knows this. I haven't really had opportunity to really tell this story in full, but I had been working for about a year, maybe a year plus, trying to figure out how I was going to leave Sports Illustrated, you know, quit before I got fired, 
um, break up with, my, with the girl before she dumps me um, and launched, you know, like the ringer for college basketball. And so I had spoken with a lot of people about this. I was really jazzed about that idea. And I, I had hit some dead ends. I kind of made some progress uh, with this uh, investor group called the Chernin Group, um, which invests in a lot of uh, tech companies. Um, and they had been interested and then they kind of gave me the Heisman. But, you know, we left on good terms. Uh, good listen. I could have been like, hey, screw you guys. I'm going to show you. I'm going to shove this up. No, I was like, hey, man, thanks for the time. You're here. I'm here. Let's circle back. Let's keep talking. I really appreciate your interest. I learned a lot, blah, blah, blah. So, however, several months later, not, not long after, I get laid off from Sports Illustrated. Um, never like through a pity party. I was like, okay, let's go. Let's go do this. Like, stay positive. And I reached back to the folks at the Turner Group and said, hey, you know, I don't know if you heard now I'm a free agent and, you know, maybe we can resume those conversations. And they said, well, we just invested in this company called The Athletic. Why don't we connect you with Alex Mather, their CEO? And Alex was coincident. I had a great conversation with him. Coincidentally, he came into town. Um, they were only in three cities at that point, had just closed one of their first big rounds of, of fundraising, and they were looking for a national brand. So um, it, it was, I mean, I had nothing to lose. And. Um, they had, you know, it was just, I'm lucky in so many ways I can't even begin to, that's why you'll never, I'll never take any of this for granted. Um, but it was a great example, a classic example of something bad, something happening that looks like a setback, but ends up being a setup for something greater. And I love, I love my 22 years at Sports Illustrated. I wouldn't give back a day. Um, but I'm telling you, I love writing for The Athletic. I love working for The Athletic. I feel like I climbed aboard this rocket ship. And believe me, through no doing of my own, I'm a very small part of this, uh, the success of The Athletic and what The Athletic will continue to be able to do um, is extraordinary. So you're all going to get fired. You're all going to get laid off. You're going to change jobs a bunch of times. It's much more true now than it was um, as I've been coming up. So um don't discourage. Don't ever be discouraged. You can always press forward. Uh, Shayla's a Spurs intern. So that, I'm assuming that's the San Antonio Spurs. What, if, what are your sideline reporting and first job tips? I think that Brian Anderson is also on Ernie Johnson's roster for EJ's uh, journalism school. Uh, and I know that Brian worked for the San Antonio Spurs. I don't know if that was his first job or certainly one of his first jobs. Um, sideline reporting and first job tips. You know, again, um, a lot of this is, is, is the same. Enthusiasm and industriousness, those two cornerstones in John Wooden's uh, pyramid of success. Love what you do. Uh, work hard. Um, and, and just, you know, attack every day. Let's chase it. Attack every day. Learn as much as you can. Um, the further along you get in your career, the more people will try to take you down. The more people will take shots at you. The, you think, well, if I can just get past this hurdle, then I'll be fine. No, once you get past over that hurdle, the next hurdle is even higher. And when you see these higher hurdles and when you see these higher walls and when you hear more people take shots at you, that's when you know you're doing something right. Okay, so, um, you know, bury yourself in the details, uh, Shayla, learn as much as you can about basketball, be it, be trustworthy, be honest with your sources, um, and learn as much as you can. Curiosity is a superpower. Um, let me see here. My man, Seth. Oh, okay, well, I'm, um, Jack Rothenberg says, if I'm looking for an intern, I know someone will be interested. Well, I appreciate that. I will let you know. Actually, in my book projects, I um, I exploited uh, interns in the worst uh, way. Uh, a couple of college folks and a young blogger from Connecticut named Matt Norlander. I wouldn't say he was, I wouldn't call him an intern, but he was a huge help to me uh, in my John Wooden book. Did a lot of transcribing for me, um, and not just of, of recorded interviews, but newspaper articles, which I highlighted. He was terrific. He was uh, passionate about basketball. Uh, whatever happened to the guy, Matt Norlander? Somebody, somebody, uh, Google him. I wonder what happened to him. Never heard of him again. Um, how to how to hone your skills for broadcasting and journalism while at home from school? Read. 
Read, 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 read. I'm uh, about a third of the way through right now Doris Kearns Goodwin's book about Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt. A lot of parallels to today. If you want to feel better about what we're going through, go back and read about the Depression, about World War II, about Nazi Germany. Go back and read about the Civil War um, and all the technological and, and medical advancements we've made since that time. Her book on Lincoln is awesome. Um, I'm still scrolling through here. I don't even know what time it is. I'm having such a good time talking about myself. I'm losing track of time. Ernie told me. Okay, so the hour's up. I'll go a little bit longer and try to scroll scroll through. Um, see, I'm not hydrating enough. Uh, er Ernie mentioned Manuka honey. He he introduced me to Manuka honey um, for the throat. It's a great uh, great uh, tip. I love Ernie Johnson. All right, now I lost the questions again. If I tap the screen, do they come back? Someone says, thank you for your tips and advice. This is awesome. Thank you, Amber. All right, I lost my question feed. I think if someone asks me the next question, the feed comes back. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> Just Google that. Matt Norlander is an award-winning senior writer at CBS Sports started in 2010. Thank you. Who would have known that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, someone's here. Okay, there we go. So interesting. So somebody next time somebody asks a question, the scroll comes back. So let's go a little bit longer. And by the way, um, you guys can always hit me up on Twitter. I read my mentions. I've said this to everybody. I sit on my mentions and I read them. It's so stupid. Why do I do this to myself? You know, because people are generally nice. And if they're not nice, I mute them. I don't block. You know why? Because if I block someone and they get the message that I blocked them and it made their day and I don't want to make those people happy. So um, if you ask me questions on Hitter, I'm pretty good about I'm pretty good about uh, answering them. So um, let me flip this back. And also, I did put it out there um, about joining a journalism class. So if you're in a journalism class in college, uh, you or your professor have them uh, hit me up and uh, DM me. One Zoom session, I've got a couple other ones going on. So um, so uh, I'm available. I don't have much else to do. And I, and I, really, uh, I really enjoy it. Uh, okay. Uh, I've always thought the best interviewers are good listeners. Agree. What a great comment. The best interviewers are good listeners. Um, I read the book recently by Robert Caro, who has written uh, all those great books about Lyndon Johnson. I read one of them, which was awesome. And he wrote a book called Working. And he said that when he used to do interviews, he would take notes. He would write the letters S-U in his notebook while he was doing an interview. You know what S-U stands for? Shut up. Listen. Great, great comment. Uh, Anchor Bill. Best interviews are the the best listeners. Um, focus, what do you focus to make sure you were a professional in front of the camera? Um, <laughs> a couple things come to mind. First of all, I'm a ham, okay? I was always the, the lead in the play at uh, Camp Equinonk. I played Tevia and Fither on the Roof, so uh, it came naturally. Um, something a lot of people don't know about me is I used to perform stand-up comedy in New York City. Um, someone asked a question at the top of this chat, uh, you know, what do you say to someone who wants to get into journalism uh, and is hesitant? And my answer was, don't be hesitant. I had always wanted to try stand-up comedy. I was living in New York City, so I took a course at the New School and um, did the class. And with the class, you got to do stage time. And I found a way to get on stage. You know, you could get on these low-level uh, comedy clubs if you brought three people, three audience members who would pay like a $20 cover charge and a two drink minimum. So it was a lot to ask. And fortunately, I knew a lot of people in New York, so I was able to space them out. But that really helped me. Um, one of my teachers was actually um, uh, also did consulting for on-air newscasters. So I was just starting to do more and more TV, and I sat with him for a couple of times. I'll give you this piece of advice. And one of the things he used to tell us on, about going on stage is if you have five minutes of stage time, um, go on stage with four minutes of material so you're not rushing through your set. I bring that same um, philosophy to television. You know, I might only have 20 seconds to make a comment or 30 seconds to make a comment. Um, so I really have to think about what I want to say. And a lot of people in that situation try to jam in as much as they can in that 30 seconds. 
instead of trying to say five things, pick one thing. The one thing you really want to say and then say it well. So that would be my advice. But uh, being a ham certainly helps. Um, how do you develop long-term feature story ideas? You know, I think over time, this is from MLB Larry. I think over time, you just kind of have an instinct about what, I call it um, using your nose. Uh, a reporter should have a good nose. Um, something they learn, something they see. Um, I think there's a good story here. Obviously, for me, the, the, the problem isn't coming up with good ideas. The problem is finding the time to, to do them. And that includes books, by the way. I have multiple ideas for really good books, including fiction, by the way. I've written a novel for young adult uh, readers. So if you're a YA editor out there, we're getting ready to take this out um, to market. Um, any tips for the most effective way to transcribe interviews? I use Rev.com, um, which unfortunately you have to pay for. It can uh, get quite expensive. Um, I recommend interns um, who might do it for free if you're in the business. Uh, and I wouldn't say for free, by the way. They get academic credit. That's the beauty of, of interns. Uh, transcribing sucks, man. It really, really I guess there's software now that can help you do it. Um, maybe not having to transcribe every word, but you know, to the degree that you cannot transcribe, but unfortunately we can't get around it. Um, okay, let's uh, scroll through and finish these out. Um, hey, what's up, Prez? Congrats on the presidency. Thank you, Smash Simmons and Sack Christopher. El Prez, I like that. I should be El Prez. How about His Excellency? Maybe they shouldn't. We were watching that. I was forcing my sons to watch the uh, HBO series about John Adams because I want them to have uh, a little more education. Our schools are doing a great job here in California. Uh, they're Zooming with their teachers. They're working. Um, <laughs> do I have any Curry Kirkpatrick stories? Curry just texted me the other day. Um, you know, Curry and I did not uh, cross paths at Sports Illustrated. But uh, Curry was always the best dressed dude on on uh, press row. Whatever wants to say, anyone wants to say about him, and he's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant writer. Did you overlap with Lars Anderson at Sports? Is, is so Lars is one of your professors. This is William Galloway. You know what? Um, I have on my uh, I, on my bookcase somewhere. I have one of Lars's books about uh, that he did with Chad Millman called Pickup Artist. Yes, I overlap with Lars. Lars is a very good friend of mine. Uh, I'm a huge Lars Anderson fan, so you are very, very fortunate. Um, oh, don't go away, guys. What am I doing that I keep losing? losing? Oh, you know what? If I swipe left, <laughs> this is like Tinder. If I swipe left, is swiping left good on Tinder or bad on Tinder? Um, I love Lars and give him my best. I love this question. I'm going to end with this. Quinn Navarro, what do you do if you get writer's block? Here's the answer. There is no such thing as writer's block. You know why there's no such thing? Because you can always write something that sucks. And believe me that I have. That doesn't mean that I've turned in something that sucks, although I'm sure I have. That doesn't mean that I've published something that sucks, although I'm sure I've had. I have. But what it means is you get it down on paper or your screen, and then you make it better. And you'll be amazed and how good it is. And you know what? I mean, I, part of this is my, my newspaper muscle. Um, you know, I remember um, writing for that newspaper uh, in New Haven, and a friend of mine asked, well, okay, the, your deadline, you have to turn in your story at 11 o'clock. Well, what happens if you miss a deadline? And I was like, I didn't realize that was an option. Like, missing a deadline is not an option. If you want to work, you gotta, you got to meet your deadlines. So um, here's the thing. At the heart of writer's block is arrogance that somehow – what you're writing is so important. It has to be so great that it just, it won't come out of your, your magic fingers. It doesn't work that way. You are a working writer. A working writer writes. Write something that's not so good, go back, and then improve upon it. It's just not that big of a deal. You don't have to nail your lead. And so, you know, maybe the next time Ernie invites me to do something like this, I'll get a little bit more deeper into my process, especially the long form process. Um, but what I do is once I have all my interviews done and transcribed and with my outline done, I do a straight right through. And it's probably the toughest part of the process is when I start that. 
where I don't go back and plug in quotes or stats. I use the, the, um, the mechanism of the, the, the letters TK, which is an old newspaper magazine thing that editors used to use. So if I want to write something like, you know, he had TK points and TK rebounds. Um, I, I know that I have that information, but I'm not going to stop writing to go back and get it. I'm going to finish my write through. I'm going to write all the way through. And believe me, when I'm writing, some of it is just gibberish. Some of it is just, just to kind of keep going and kind of get it out all on, on, in my word document in one, in one place. Then I go back and I fill in my TK. Some of it is quotes, by the way, like, you know, you know, I was really, I was really ticked off when I missed that shot. TK quote, he said, quote I want but I don't know the exact quote word for word and I'm not going to go back and get it I'm just going to get it on the page and I use the TK because then I can do my find function and I find you know I do a search for all my TKs and I fill those in and then once I get to the I'm done with that and there are no TKs that's a great place to be because now I'm not looking at anything I'm not thinking about anything I'm just kind of like um, this is going to sound arrogant, but I, I think of myself as a sculptor. I've got my stone, I've got my marble, and now I'm just going to chip away and move things around and kind of write it and refine it. And the more and more you do that, that's when writing becomes really, really fun. So there is no such thing as writer's block. Put it out of your head. Get something bad on the table, write cliches, write something not creative. Get it down. As you're writing, that muscle will click in and the sparks will happen and you'll go back and you'll fix it. And, you know, so you're not turning in war and peace. You know, you're not turning in the greatest thing ever written, but it's yours. It's yours. And I want you to own it. Look, this was this was a lot of fun. I do Ernie. My, my throat's a little sore, so I'm going to go get my Manuka honey. Um, the fact that Ernie Johnson would think highly enough of me to ask me to do this um, I cannot put into words uh, what that means to me. Uh, what I think of Ernie um, as a man, first and foremost, as a husband, as a father. Um, his book is actually, <laughs> I'm going to tell you this. I told him this. I'll give you a glimpse of my, um, my bookshelf here. Um, this is Ernie's book, unscripted, right? And it's right next to Ellie Wiesel, right? You can't, oh, excuse me. It's right next, and it's right next to um, Night by Ellie Wiesel. So Ernie Johnson and Ellie Wiesel are uh, on, on my bookshelf uh, together. That's what, I, that's what I think about Ernie. So Ernie, thank you for inviting me to do this. Hey, everybody, you know, hit me on, uh, hit me on Twitter, stay in touch. Um, be healthy, be hopeful. Gratitude is a discipline, and it is something that must be practiced every day. It doesn't just happen. You got to think about the things in your life that you're grateful for. Um, you got to think about the good things in your life. We all have challenges. This is a very, very scary and unsettling time. I'm not being Pollyannish here, but I know that we will get through this and I want you guys to be happy. Whatever job you have, my wish for you is that you get up in the morning and you're excited about your day. You're excited about your job and that you have peace of mind. God bless everybody. Stay in touch. Thank you, Ernie. Thank you for tuning into this episode of VJ's Game Plan. For more information on today's guest and breaking into the sports media industry, go to our website, www.ejsgameplan.com. Tune in every week to hear from more guests on their experience in the media industry. EJ's Game Plan is brought to you by Ernie Johnson Jr., the University of Georgia's new media institute, and Grady Sports.